This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Hey, I want to give a shout out to another member of the HubSpot Network, the Success Story Podcast, hosted by Scott D. Claire. It's one of the most useful podcasts in the world. Success Story features Q&A sessions with successful business leaders, keynote presentations, conversations on sales, marketing. Hey, and if you're a freelancer, his episode on how to make seven figures freelancing on Fiverr is a must. Listen to the Success Story podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is April Reine, a World Economic Forum young global leader and ranked one of the 50 leading female futurists in the world by Forbes. She helps individuals and organizations rethink and reshape their relationship with change, uncertainty, and a world of flux. And coincidentally, we are going to talk about her new book called Flux. Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. So, April, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. I'm delighted to be here. So, so would you say that right now, in this current moment, that people have a new relationship with change? That's a loaded question. We need a new relationship to change. I'm not sure that many, possibly even most people have it yet. We've had a glimmer, but we have a lot of work to do. Well, uh, it's, of course, well-documented. People hate change. So, you know, why, why is it? that we resist change so much? Well, I would actually argue it depends. So our relationship, humans' relationship to change, it's messy. It's complicated. And I come across people every day who are like, I love change. Like, yeah. Well, humans, and at the risk of generalizing a little bit here, but humans tend to love change we can control, that we can opt into, right? So a new relationship, a new job, a new adventure, a new haircut. Right? Yeah, right. We tend to really struggle with change we can't control. So the kind of change that blindsides you on a Tuesday afternoon, it goes against your expectations, it disrupts your plans. But meanwhile, like a change, a kind of change that's really easy for you might be really hard for me and vice versa. So I bring all of this up because it's like there are there is no one cookie cutter yeah. uh, formula for assessing our relationship to change. But once we start getting into it, every person I've ever met has said, you know, there's some aspect of your relationship to change that can use some improvement. So, yeah. So I don't want to go too far down the pandemic rabbit hole, but <laughs> I mean, we just had a giant experiment in, in massive change for a lot of people. And I saw a lot of people who were not those, I love change, who said, well, uh, let's deal with change and let's innovate and let's, you know, do what we have to do. Is that, I mean, clearly that was not under our control. It was not a change we, we chose, but I think there was an element of positivity to some of that change. Yes. And that's what we need more of. So the way I like to frame it and also, I know you know this, but listeners may not. I didn't write the book about 2020 or the pandemic. I was working on this book since 2018, although it's been, I like to think of it as three years in the writing, but more like three decades in the making sure, of just sure. layering this on. But I have to admit, in the last 18, 20 months, I've been given like the best example. <laughs> like right. this sense of the world being in flux has really been incredible acceleration and validation of some of these ideas. So humans are really 
adaptable when we're forced to be. Right. And I would argue a lot of what's happened over the last year and a half, our backs have been against a wall and it's like, yeah. oh, I got to yeah. change or I'm not going to survive. And whether yeah. that's you or your business or your team, so we do so. The challenge we face is that as we look towards the future and whether that's next week or next year or next the next decade, the future has more of the kinds of change we can't control. It has more of that kind of change you resist and struggle with. And it has so much more of that. And again, this is at individual levels, organizational, societal, so much is in flux that we need to not just radically reshape our relationship to it, but more specifically, we need to learn how to do this even in times of calm. When our back is not against the wall, because right. what you don't want that, that we, yes, there's some positivity in it, but it tends to be after the fact. It tends to actually be quite sometimes traumatic, chaotic, difficult, not fun when it's happening. And that's what I'm trying to help people do is like get ready for that kind of change in advance. And as I like to say, it can be a lot more fun. Right, <laughs> when your right. back's not up against a wall as well. When you plan it. Or... So so I've always said, you know, comfort sometimes is the enemy of change. It's like, yeah, why? Correct. It's not broken. You know, why fix it? Even though it's horribly broken, right? Yeah. So are you, in some ways, are you advocating that we have to actually go out there and just seek change and make change and, you know, not let it happen to us? Yes. To some degree, there is this active, like leaning in and it's change, but it's also uncertainty. And it's also, from a leadership perspective for sure, it's also ambiguity, this comfort with ambiguity. Yeah. So partly it is seeking it out. I would say right now at least, and you know, my theory continues to play out every day where it's like there's, there's just as much flux now as there was a year ago. It just looks a little different. Yeah. There's going to be just as much next year. It's going to look a little different. So like gear up for the longer haul that life gives us opportunities every day to reshape how we think about, talk about, feel about, and ultimately relate and respond to change. So some of it is seeking it out and some of it is simply pay attention to what's already happening all around you because there are a lot of big and small changes, improvements we can make when it comes to change. Yeah, it's funny. I actually uh, have a sense that there are people struggling right now more than they did say a year, year and a half ago, when the change was like, you know, constant and dynamic. And now it's just kind of like a grind. And I think that, I think that there's actually more struggle. We, we, we have not actually uh, dealt with this word flux. Webster says it is a flowing or discharge of fluid from the body, especially when excessive or abnormal. And I won't go on to cite the examples. And then of course, who could forget the flux capacitor uh, yep. from the fictional piece of technology that allowed us to time travel? Why the word flux? Yeah, so you have just landed on the uh, historical medical definition as well. And uh, there are a couple others that I'll add to the mix because they're fun because we had to do a lot of surveys and testing and, you know, flux flux conjures up, for most people, it's kind of fascinating, but they're like, I don't really know what it means. Occasionally, <laughs> some folks have said reflux. It's like, no, <laughs> no. But flux is both a noun and a verb. And yeah. in today's modern usage, most people know the noun as constant change, continuous movement, motion. Things are in flux. Yeah. But it's also a verb. And to flux means to learn to become fluid. Mm. And I love that because you can think of it as the world is in flux and we all need to learn how to flux a little bit better. 
Yeah. Now, just a fun footnote. Uh, there is this medical definition of flux was actually internal bleeding. Not going to go there, but there you go. Yeah. It also, though, and this is the one way that I still see it used today, it is a substance, a chemical compound that's used in metal smithing and jewelry making and stained glass making. And flux is the compound that binds the jewel to the metal. So it's this, or stained glass, it's the compound that, that allows the, the glass, the beautiful piece of glass to nest in its casing. And I love that too, because it, it allows things to stick together that wouldn't otherwise. And it helps create beauty, even though these two substances are very, very different. So anyway, that's just a bit more etymology for us. Awesome. And I'm sure that there is a software <laughs> company out there somewhere named, uh, that uses the name as well, right? There are a uh, few apps, actually. <laughs> so <yeah>. yes. <laughs> this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Send in Blue, an all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering small businesses to build stronger customer relationships through end-to-end digital marketing campaigns. They support businesses successfully navigating their digital presence in order to strengthen their customer relationships. Send in Blue allows you to create captivating and personalized email campaigns, custom landing pages, sign-up forms, automated workflows, transactional messaging, CRM, and more. And best of all, duct tape marketing listeners can click on sendinblue.com slash duct tape marketing to sign up for a free trial. And if you use the promo code on that page, duct tape, you'll get 50% off for your first three months, either on a light or premium account. All right. So you then take this um, and give us a couple new concepts. And I wonder if you could just, obviously there are many, but these are two I picked up. Flux baseline and flux deficit. Oh, how fun. So building on this notion of our relationship to change and a central theme of the book is also this concept of a flux mindset. So the state of mind that can see all change, whether it's good or bad, unexpected or not, as an opportunity to learn and to grow and to improve. Your flux baseline is really, what is your relationship to change today? Because as we were just talking about, some changes delight us, other ones trigger us, some changes entice us, other changes derail us. Everyone is different in this regard, and everyone has strengths and weaknesses and areas of improvement and so forth. And so getting to your flux baseline is this notion of what's your starting point for this journey to reshape your relationship to change. And then a flux deficit is when you're not, and this is such a fun term to riff on, you know, fluxy people and fluxiness and <laughs> Your, your flux capacity, actually, yeah, is another yeah. way to put your fluxiness. <laughs> so a flux deficit is when you are not very fluxy, when you are really struggling with change. And I ran a massive flux deficit for many years. I still, I still practice the superpowers. Everyone somehow thinks that because I've written this book that I've somehow, like, mastered them all. I'm like, no, I'm just exhibit A for all of them, but <laughs> I'm much I, identify than, them all. Precisely. <laughs> and I'm, I'm much better than I was years ago, but I also will have work to do for the rest of my life because yeah. that's what the nature of change is about. But a flux deficit is, are, is, or are those areas w that need the most help when it comes to learning how to, if not embrace change, see change from a place of hope rather than fear, a, a place of curiosity rather than danger, which is what a lot of people are struggling with today. 
surely there's a, an assessment in here somewhere that yes. somebody can. <laughs> can and I uh, like to call it your flux capacity, actually. <laughs> so, so I have often said, I, I, I don't know where I would be on your continuum, but I would say probably somewhere in the middle because, yeah, I did. I'm old and crotchety and don't like change sometimes, but I've realized the value. I've seen the value in it. And so it doesn't bug me as much. In fact, I've, I've, I actually think it's change is sort of the art of living. And, and so if you come to that relationship with it, I mean, you still, I think it's kind of like you in a way, you know, you still maybe struggle with it when it hits you, but by the same token, you, you, you see the value in it. And it so it like shows up with a message, right? Yeah. And another fun footnote on this, back to nouns and verbs. I've heard I've heard so many different framings. And what I love about not just the book, but the concept is how people can kind of make it their own. Yeah. And like this is how it applies to me. And you said this, but I'm gonna take it a little further and I love that. But one of the one of the best ways that to to put it is that people love change. They hate being changed. Yeah, so yeah. again, we love the now, we hate the verb, yeah. but it's the being changed. It's the allowing yourself to grow and evolve, which to your point, we tend to know like great growth comes often from the unexpected difficult changes, right? Right. Easy to say that after the fact. At the time, it's like anything but. I'm yeah. going to resist. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, all of yeah. that. And it's overcoming that to kind of regroove again back to this mindset, thinking of your mindset as a mental muscle strengthening that mental muscle that's much more attuned to not just one change and like we'll fix that and go back to the way things were that's not it it's this constant change and this understanding that moving forward the way i like to put it is there is no end game there is yeah. no steady state other than more change and that is a pretty big difference from what we've been taught for the most part over the last several decades all right. You ready for the kindest question anyone has ever asked you? Oh, of course. <laughs> Would calling this a change management book be doing it a disservice? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. So I love that you kind of predicted that question perhaps because I'm finding myself in uh, conversations sometimes recently where people are like, oh, you wrote a book about change or you wrote a book about change management. And I'm right. like, with all due respect to change management, I did not write a book about it. I wrote a book about humans' relationships to change, but I do want to call out the tension and the relationship between our mindset about change and our change management strategies. And that is that I believe we're actually getting those things backwards. We are spending, and I say we, you know, the collective we, right. we're spending so much time trying to figure out change management strategies, how to invest in uncertainty, what to do in the outside world. Hacks, and not that those hacks, things don't we matter. Want, we, we want hacks, right? Yeah. And not, those, <laughs> things don't, those things matter, but what we're not remembering or even realizing sometimes is that every single strategy, investment, and decision you make is fundamentally rooted in your mindset. So do you see change from a place of hope or fear? That's not strategy, that's mindset. But that the answer to that question will absolutely shape and color and dictate the kind of strategy you set. Do you expect that things will go to plan and then get anxious or unravel when they don't? That's not strategy, that's mindset. 
But again, so the way I like to put it is it's not that strategy doesn't matter or change management doesn't matter. It's that mindset drives both of those things, not the other way around. And when we can get clear on that inner relationship to change, all this external stuff becomes clear. Change management is no longer this thing that's, I mean, we're, we're just, we're trying to triage stuff, but we're not actually doing the harder work, which is gaining self-awareness about what, again, what triggers us, what excites us, what is the baggage we bring to the table when we're talking about any kind of change, period. So you have uh, built this around eight superpowers. That's kind of the the framework of uh, the book. And one of the things that seemed at least hit me at first when I uh, was studying and you have a nice graphic and all, is that all the elements have what I would call a, an element of mindfulness to them and and more than just intention. Is that just me? No, <laughs> that's intentional. I love that you picked that up. Thank you. And, you know, it's interesting. I think more broadly, I am walking this fine but beautiful line between having written a book that is, you know, business, it's for leadership, right. it's for teams. That's kind of where I sit professionally, but there's also an element of, I don't want to go so far. It's not self-helpy per se. I'm not a self-help. I'm not a guru. I'm not in that world, but this notion that all professional development and organizational development and strategy and execution, all that, it is all rooted in personal growth. Mm -hmm. And this notion of mindfulness, which isn't something that until recently we found much in the business world, that's at the core of everything. And presence and self-awareness and and this ability to be rooted and grounded. And then that flows into all kinds of things around how we identify ourselves and what, how we value different things and how we look at our relationships and can we trust people and our pace of change and productivity. Like it just shows up everywhere. So there are eight superpowers, as I said, and, and you know, if you want to know what they are, go buy the book, but I'll, I'll ask you to talk a little bit about one that maybe stood out a little bit. And that's the idea of the portfolio career. I mean, I've certainly, we've all heard people talk about that now, especially if you're a millennial, that's, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, but I'm not, I think in the context of what you're talking about, I found that one to be the most sort of intriguing. Oh, fabulous. And that one is unique amongst the eight in that it is very specifically geared towards the future of work that yeah. is itself in flux yeah. and kind of how we look at our professional identity and our overall career, career development. So I love that you bring this up. And each of the eight superpowers, I also have to give the kind of not caveat, but framing that they're all counterintuitive in some way. They all go against the grain of what I think a lot of us have been taught about the world and how it works and how we're supposed to show up in it. But a lot of what we've been taught is really for a world that is, as I will say, neat and tidy and orderly and predictable, you know, the, the world that we, as if we could tie it up with a bow. Right. A world in flux flips a lot of that on its head. So the concept of a portfolio career, the the way that the superpower is phrased is that in a future of work in flux, we need to think about our careers and career development less as a singular path to pursue or a ladder to climb, and rather more like a portfolio to curate as an, as an artist would or an investor would. There are lots of different kinds of portfolios. But it's this sense of our professional identity goes so far beyond our resume. Our resume is capturing only a certain kind of data that, not that it's not helpful, it's an incomplete picture of any person, what they can do, what kind of value they can add, but also 
your resume is very much for a linear kind of work where you would study hard, get good grades, go to college, get a job, do said job for a long time and retire. Like mm. that is a script. That is a linear path. That is not the reality that we're working in. And even before the Great Recession, sorry, not Great Recession, the Great Resignation, that was in play. But the portfolio career concept maps really well with people also who are reconsidering, you know, what kind of professional life do they want? Yeah. But also in the face of automation, in the face of lots of unknowns, how do we actually prepare for a future of work that is a minefield of uncertainties? And so what I love to remind people is that every single person today already has a portfolio. You may just not realize it. And your portfolio is all of the skills and roles and ways you can contribute to society, add value. It's not about titles and positions and so forth. Parenting skills are in your portfolio. They're typically yeah. not allowed in your resume, right? Right. So you've got this, but also unlike a job, and I hate to sound blunt, but unlike a job that someone else gives you, any job that someone else gives you, even if you love it, even if you're great at it, even if everything's going great, the fact that someone else gave you that job means that it can be taken away from you. And that makes a lot of people nervous and anxious and uncertainty just ratchets up. Yes. Your portfolio is yours forever. You own it. No one can take it away from you. It is your responsibility to curate it and to weave your narrative around it. But for a future of work and a world in which there's so much we can't control, this notion of a portfolio is something you actually can, and you've already got one, and you can start today. You know, it's been really fun for me. You know, I kind of poked fun at millennials a little bit there, but what's mm. been really fun for me is that you know, you know who's really waking up to this idea is 55 plus, you know, is really waking up to this idea, and, and which to me is kind of cool. So all right, we've been, I, maybe you've been talking broader, but I think people have probably sensed that we're talking about individual influx, but, you know, can... A, a, a culture have a flex capacity? Can an organization have a flex capacity? Yes. I mean, how do we apply those concepts to much larger? Um, yes, absolutely. Setting? So I get the question, yes, can an organization have a flex mindset? Absolutely, yes. The key here, and the book really is designed primarily for individuals because that's where this starts. Mm -hmm. But I like to remind people, organizations are simply collections of individuals. And so when you bring those together, you have not just an organization that can be fluxy, but this becomes part of your organizational culture. I mean, so much of this is about how do people relate to one another and then together, how do they relate to change? And then as an organization, it's built into to design, to just different processes, structures, et cetera. But yes, so start with the micro unit of the person, but then build that in, organizations, I mean, at least so far, organizations are still only as, you could say, valuable as the people in terms of a longevity, in terms of the humanness as the people that are there. Yeah, it kind of becomes, I have a new term for you, flux ecosystem there. Yes, is, uh... <laughs> yes love it. <laughs> All right. So April, tell people where they can find out more, certainly about uh, Flux, the book, but also your work, anywhere you want to send them to connect with you. 
Certainly. So for all things Flux, please head to fluxmindset.com. Lots more resources, superpowers, articles, etc. And then I also do have aprilrinney.com, which is more about the stuff not it, it has a little bit of flux, but it has things like my handstands on it. And people have found out that I do handstands. So they always want to know where to go for those. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. And hopefully we'll run into you the next time. You're in the Northwest, right? Did I read yes, that? Is that right? I yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my daughters went to Gonzaga. And so I spent, ah. for four years, I spent a lot of time in the Northwest. Uh, awesome. Beautiful Fabulous. area. So hopefully we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, Check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says Training for Your Team.